This is Ringler Radio, where you get all the latest news and information about settlement solutions, litigation, mediation, and structured financial security from Ringler, the largest and most experienced company of settlement consultants in the United States. Ringler has been helping injured people and their families since 1975. Ringler Radio is made possible in part by American General, Liberty Mutual, MetLife, Mutual of Omaha, New York Life, Pacific Life, and Prudential. Now join Ringler Radio host Larry Cohen. Well, hello and welcome to Ringler Radio, everyone. I'm Larry Cohen, the head of Ringler's Northeast Operations, and we're certainly glad you could join us again today. Well, today on Ringler Radio, we have an interesting show. We're going to discuss regulation, arbitration agreements, and nursing home contracts, and how new regulations will impact the nursing home long-term care industry when it comes to the whole area of litigation. Well, recently, regulators for Medicare and Medicaid have issued a ruling that barred nursing homes that receive federal funding from requiring residents to agree in advance to resolve their disputes in arbitration instead of court. But an injunction was recently filed to enjoin CMS from enforcing this new rule. So, of course, right now it's it's subject to a lot of questions. And we're going to do today is try to answer some of those questions. And my co-host today is my colleague and Ringler consultant Peter Early from Bedford, New Hampshire. Peter joined Ringler in 2005 and became a consultant in 2012. Prior to joining Ringler, Peter worked for Senator Lincoln Chafee of Rhode Island, down in Washington, D.C., and lobbied on behalf of the healthcare industry. So with that, welcome to the show, Peter. Great having you as my co-host. Thank you, Larry. It's always great to be on Ringler Radio. Terrific. And joining us today as our special guest is an expert in litigation, Christine Kehoe at Hamlin and Burton Liability Management in Chicago, Illinois. Chris began her career in 1995 with the Illinois State Medical Insurance Services, managing medical malpractice litigation in Chicago, and thereafter practiced law at Salvi Shotstock and Pritchard in Chicago, where she continued to focus on medical malpractice litigation. And in 2003, Chris became director of major case litigation and medical malpractice for the St. Paul Travelers in Chicago and went on to serve as director of major case litigation for Travelers Excess Casualty Unit before joining Hamlin and Burton in 2009. That's quite a record there, Chris. Welcome to the show. Uh, well, thank you very much, and um, thanks for asking me and the nice introduction. Well, great, great, great. Well, Chris, why don't you give us a little bit more about your background and uh, what your role is as litigation manager? Sure. Um, well, as you just mentioned, I've been really working in the civil liability area since 1995, both for carriers and for a short while, um, practice law generally speaking, with a focus on medical malpractice. And it's kind of hard to believe I've been with Hamlin and Burton for a little over seven years working with uh, various clients. And then in terms of my role here at Hamlin and Burton, um, we really provide a full array of claims and litigation support services, um, really from full claim support for organizations to assisting with targeted functions or limited assignments like handling MSP reporting or handling mediations or short-term assignments, whatever our clients um, have a need for. So it's been uh, really fun because our company is 
fairly small, and um, I really like the fact that we have a lot of flexibility and ability to tailor our services to meet whatever needs um, the client comes to us with. Sounds rewarding. It surely it certainly does, Chris. Terrific. Hey, Chris, can you give us a glimpse into the current state of nursing home and long-term care as it stands right now? Uh, sure. Well, uh, for anyone who regularly works in this particular area of um, civil law, they know it's a challenge. Um, whether it's on the front lines and you're providing care to the elderly or disabled population or in my role handling claims, um, it can be pretty volatile. And certainly this area of litigation comes with um, unique complexities. And you learn to deal with them as just part of the landscape. Um, The plaintiff's bar continues to develop new ways of attacking providers. And as a result, when you're on the defense side, you try to be a step ahead, um, really in terms of risk management or developing ways and defenses um, to stem those claims. That's interesting, Chris. What exactly is the function of arbitration agreements in the past? What what was that? Well, um, arbitration, you know, was and is an alternative form of dispute resolution. So when you have an arbitration agreement, it's really a contract between parties. So the parties agree to forego formal litigation um, and the jury process and instead have a decision maker who is an arbitrator who's going to be a neutral third party um, decide the dispute. So there's a really a myriad of reasons why companies want arbitration agreements um, in general, and then specifically in the long-term care industry. Well, I think we're going to explore some of those as we go th- go through the show today. Yeah, and from the the perspective of the long-term care facility, what are some of the reasons that they would want those arbitration arbitration agreements enforced? Well, there's a, there's more than a few reasons, but the number one is that arbitration is just generally viewed as less risky than the legal system. So um, for facilities, um, there's been a history of of long-term care litigation with um, some pretty large verdicts. So the idea of the arbitration process and potentially avoiding a runaway verdict, that's really the number one reason. But there's other reasons, too. Um, Generally speaking, um, folks in the industry tout arbitration from start to end that, that it can, one, be much quicker than a case in the legal system, and it can be less expensive. Um, The other things that are favorable for arbitrations for long-term care facilities is it really, at the end of the day, takes some heat out of the case, particularly if you're in a bad um, venue. So what happens is if an arbitration agreement um, is part of the case, then you may be able to resolve a case for a lot less and a lot earlier than if it were in the judicial system. So, for example, um, the case itself um, was a wound care case and had graphic photos and there was no interest by the plaintiff attorney in talking about early resolution. Um, In reality, from our side, there were strong medical defenses in the case and we really couldn't get much traction when the case first came in about talking about uh, reasonable value. But when we located the arbitration agreement and it was found to be enforceable, very shortly after there was a change in position by the plaintiff and there was an interest in resolving and we were able to resolve it for a favorable amount. Sure. Well, you know, you're removing jury sympathies and things like that, those elements that uh, sometimes drive up value. So 
Uh, obviously, from a plaintiff's perspective, it wouldn't be necessarily a great thing not to have that uh, day in court. But uh, obviously, there are other reasons why arbitration clauses make sense for, for the party. So so how did we get here, Chris? What, what's the history of how arbitration clauses came into prominence? Well, in common law, there is no right to enforce an arbitration agreement. But during the Industrial Revolution, corporations wanted the right to have and enforce pre-dispute arbitration agreements. And born out of that was the Federal Arbitration Act, um, which is commonly referred to as the FAA. And the FAA basically stands for the proposition that an agreement entered by the parties is valid unless one party can show fraud or unconscionability or some other ground for rescission based on contract law. So there have been a series of court decisions over many decades that basically stand for the proposition that the FAA preempts state law when it comes to enforcing pre-dispute arbitration agreements. Now, you had talked a little bit about the uh, advantages from the long-term care facility side um, in in enforcing arbitration agreements. Can you talk a little bit about why plaintiffs may not uh, be super eager to get on board with that? Well, sure. Um, So the flip side of that is the number one reason that you hear from plaintiff bar organizations about arbitration agreements and trying to get out of them is that they believe that the chances of getting a bigger arbitration award as compared to a jury verdict is lower. So really the bottom line for the plaintiff attorneys is it's about money and about keeping the risk in the litigation as opposed to removing some of the downside risk. So plaintiff attorneys and their groups and organizations have long argued the use of arbitration agreements in the long-term care setting shouldn't be allowed. And some of their arguments are that um, they're one-sided, they lead to insulation of the owners of these facilities against claims of poor care and abuse, and so if there's not a risk of a huge verdict that will hurt the bottom line of long-term care facilities, then the result will be that the quality of care goes down for all residents. That's their basic argument. Um, Plaintiff attorneys have long advocated for Congress to prohibit arbitration agreements and long-term care contracts, but so far they have not been successful. Well, you know, and I understand that, you know, some plaintiff attorneys, especially in this area, talk about the uneven bargaining position of the parties, you know, the party that the the individual that wants to go into a nursing home setting uh, is is really unable to, to bargain away the arbitration clause because they need the care. So, that, that becomes always a, a, an issue of contention in a lot of these areas uh, that we've seen through the years. But let, let's talk about how important it is to the long-term care industry to enter into these arbitration agreements. And obviously, it's a benefit to them. So how important is, is it for them to maintain the ability to, to enter into these agreements? Well, I, I think it's important for sure. Um, and and when it comes down to an individual case or facility, then things maybe change. But from a claims perspective, arbitration agreements are not a solution for everything. So while, as mentioned before, arbitrations are thought to be less expensive than a case in the judicial system or have less exposure potentially, I'm not sure that's accurate in every case. So, for example, when we talk about costs, um, there's a general thought process that litigation costs more than arbitrations. But when you 
enter arbitration, you have to pay the arbitrator. So sometimes you have one arbitrator, sometimes you can have three arbitrators, and when you're working through the discovery towards the arbitration process itself, the arbitrators are acting like judges and reviewing motions, things like that, and they're getting paid for it. So sometimes there's some extra costs on the front end involving arbitration um, that people don't take into account. And, you know, just like a jury trial, you may not like the result. So the decision's final. Um, most of the time, there's not a right to appeal an arbitration decision, um, except in very rare circumstances. So, you know, there's still risk with a, an arbitration decision for both sides. Um, and then the other thing about arbitration decisions is they're generally confidential. So, Generally speaking, long-term care facilities like that idea, and the industry favors the idea of confidentiality for a lot of reasons, because they just feel like any press is bad press and that kind of avenue. But when you get a great result, and you can't really talk about it during the next case in that venue, um, it's a little bit of a disappointment, because you may have a plaintiff attorney on the one hand who's arguing the value of their case. And you know that really at arbitration, that value is not there. So it, it makes negotiations sometimes a little difficult when you, you can't really talk about good results. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No question. What, some of our listeners might be wondering, who, who gets to choose the arbitrator and, and what, how does that happen? Um, well, that's a really good question. It kind of depends on the arbitration agreement um, that the resident or the resident's family and the facility sign. So a lot of times the um, arbitrational agreement itself will talk about choosing um, a neutral third party and saying that there's going to be one arbitrator, um, maybe having some particular qualifications. Um, And so in each state there might be um, an organization um, that has these qualified arbitrators. And so what usually happens is either the parties agree on the arbitrator, really without much of a, an issue, um, or if they have to go back to that arbitration agreement, the selection process might be that um, each party picks an arbitrator um, from that group. And then um, if they don't, the sides can't agree, then maybe those two arbitrators pick the arbitrator mm-hmm. um, out of the other available arbitrators in that organization. Well, I think like in most, uh, in most arenas, uh, who, who's the, who becomes the referee and who, who's selected to be that person is often the most important decision of all. And uh, I'm, I'm sure that that becomes a very important uh, aspect of, of all of these uh, cases. For sure. Yeah. Yeah, I, I would agree, Larry. And, and Chris, we've talked a lot about the arbitration agreements and that we have in place and how they benefit the LTC providers, but that's only really half the battle. Can you talk a little bit about how those uh, arbitration agreements are enforced and what the process is at that point? Yeah, and it, and it really does vary. Um, whether an arbitration agreement's going to be enforced is largely the state-dependent. And then beyond that, what venue you're in and even what judge you're in front of. So ignoring the new rule by CMS, because there's an injunction presently, um, if, a, if a facility accepts Medicare payments, then they likely are able to have some success in pursuit of an arbitration agreement because they fall within the Interstate Commerce Clause and therefore can cite the FAA as being applicable. 
but many states have passed laws or developed case law that chips away at the right to arbitration in the long-term care setting. If you're going to have residents enter into arbitration agreements, you have to do it correctly. It's not a situation where you can be 90% correct in uh, the formulation of the agreement or how you had it done. The arbitration agreement itself, and my understanding, it has to be a separate agreement from the residency contract and not within the body of the rest of the agreement. And then another area where we've seen limitations placed by the courts is on wrongful death claims. Some state courts have ruled that wrongful death cases are just not subject to arbitration in the long-term care setting, or in the alternative, that you need all potential parties to sign off on the arbitration agreement. So picture, um, you know, grandma going into the long-term care facility. She signs the arbitration agreement. Everything's done correctly. Then grandma passes away, and her kids pursue the claim. Well, some courts and some states have said that that kind of derivative claim under wrongful death isn't subject to that agreement because they weren't parties to it. I got it. Very, very interesting. Well, what are some of the other examples uh, of a state limiting arbitration provisions, Chris? Well, I've seen courts find that the agreement's void if the resident who signed it arguably didn't have the requisite mental capacity to sign that agreement. Other times, it becomes kind of a complex family issue. So you have a resident come in, um, they have a power of attorney, um, but daughter number two signs the agreement. Well, she really wasn't the power of attorney who had the right to sign that arbitration agreement. Um, So you have to make sure that when you're getting an arbitration agreement signed, you're having the right people in the right legal capacity sign it. So it's more than just having an agreement and showing that to the court, there's more involved than than may meet the eye. Yeah, absolutely. And and it really does come down to the state. So sometimes it's pretty easy. You've got the signed arbitration agreement. The case law is um, decent or favorable, and it's just real smooth and easy. Other times um, it may come down to issues like were your staff um, trained appropriately to handle how to explain the agreement and sometimes if plaintiff attorneys are attacking the arbitration agreement, you may have to have staff testify or sign an affidavit regarding the process itself. So sometimes you're facing some complex motion practice in terms of getting an arbitration agreement enforced. No, no, yeah, no question. It's always more complex than... Uh than you think it's going to be. Well, let's take, right. a, yeah, let's take a quick break right now. We'll be back in a minute with our special guest, Chris Keogh, right here on Ringo Radio, right after this break. We'll be right back. This is Ringler Radio, brought to you from Ringler, the nation's leading provider of fair settlement solutions. Did you know that Ringler is involved in a third of all structured settlement cases in the country? Ringler advisors work with all the parties in a lawsuit settlement to find the best possible financial solution for the people involved. Everybody wins. There's a Ringler consultant in all the major cities of the U.S. No one has more experienced experts in the settlement business than Ringler. 
check out our website at www.ringlerassociates.com for the best information for injured parties, attorneys, and claims professionals to find the Ringler advisor nearest you. When it's your interest at stake in a lawsuit settlement, you want only the best, most objective financial plan. You can count on Ringler Advisors to create a customized plan that meets the financial needs of you and your family for the future. Visit RinglerAssociates.com to learn more. Well, welcome back to Ringler Radio. Glad you could join us. I'm your host, Larry Cohen, and joining me today is my co-host, Peter Early, from Ringler's Bedford, New Hampshire office, and Chris Keogh, litigation manager at Hamlin and Burton Liability Management in Chicago, Illinois. Well, Chris, tell us about this recent arbitration decision and what it means going forward. I know there was an injunction filed, but talk about uh, what it means. Sure. So to back up one step, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, otherwise known as CMS, issued a final rule in September that included a ban on pre-dispute arbitration agreements in nursing homes. So unless facilities decide to stop taking federal funds to pay for care, most long-term facilities fall under the rules of CMS. So ACA, the American Healthcare Association, along with several nursing centers located in Mississippi, filed a motion for preliminary injunction in the U.S. District Court of Mississippi against CMS to stop them from enforcing this new rule. And the judge recently uh, granted that preliminary injunction. Yeah, you're talking recently. You're talking about the last two weeks or so, right? Correct. I think it was November 7th. Mm, amazing. Amazing. And, Chris, what's CMS's position on on their end in terms of the, that injunction? Well, there, the case is going to be decided on its merit ultimately. CMS says it has this authority in order to regulate participation in Medicare and Medicaid um, to protect the well-being of the public um, per the statutes to ban pre-dispute arbitration agreements. That's their position. So what are the facilities, the actual nursing home facilities and the American Healthcare Association, what are they saying about it? it must have a, they must have another opinion. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, ACA and, and the long-term care facilities say that the statutes that govern Medicare and Medicaid programs don't include a congressional mandate um, authorizing um, the preemption of the FAA. So if you look at other statutes for other agencies of the government, in those laws, Congress did give that authority. So that's their basic point, um, is that CMS doesn't have the authority to make this rule, and it should be left for Congress to pass actual legislation on this point, if that's what Congress wanted. So now that we've heard both sides, why did the court grant the injunction? That's a good question. Yeah, well, it seemed it was a pretty interesting opinion. Um, the judge found that the arguments of CMS as to the preliminary injunction were not persuasive. He didn't find that CMS provided any objective data that showed arbitrations harmed residents. Now, what was interesting about that is he personally noted that over 50% of folks that enter nursing homes have some kind of mental issue, early onset dementia, those kinds of things. So the judge noted personally he thought maybe it would be a good idea to ban arbitration agreements. 
but he didn't feel like CMS pointed to A, having the outright authority, and B, didn't show where their basis for saying it harmed residents, what they based that on. Mm-hmm. And I, th- I think they, they said something about the fact that CMS had undertaken some kind of an independent study uh, showing the effect of arbitration agreements and the harm it had. Uh, they may have ruled a little differently. So we, we get into this whole argument of, of the presentation of evidence, et cetera, and now take out your crystal ball, and uh, what what now? What's next? Uh, I know a lot of commentators have indicated uh, that it's going to go through the courts. So what do, you, what do you see happening? Well, I think it's definitely going to go through the courts. Um, right now, it's going to be at the district court level. This could be, you know, quite a while. And I think ultimately this may end up before the U.S. Supreme Court. And, you know, right now with the election over, and at least one seat on the U.S. Supreme Court needed to be filled presently. But a Republican president, I'm not sure that things will end up going so well for CMS Mm -hmm. in the long run on this issue. Interesting. Well, politics is a part of every decision, every every element of our lives, and no question it's going to be here as well. Well, with that, with that, I want to wrap up this show by saying thank you, Chris. I mean, it's been a very interesting show, and we've learned a lot about arbitration agreements and and how they uh, how they factor into this this nursing care industry and this healthcare industry. It's uh, fascinating stuff. And Peter, I want to thank you again for being my co-host. Larry, it's my pleasure, and thank you, Chris. This was certainly a topical discussion in light of all the uh, the events that have happened recently and look for following it going forward, and I uh, thank you for your time, and Larry, thank you as well. Terrific. And Chris, if someone wanted to get a hold of you, how would they do that? Sure. So Hamlin and Burton Liability Management's website is www.hamlinandburton.com, or you can call us at 321-972-0121. Great. And uh, if you want to reach any Ringler associate, including uh, Peter Early, go to ringlerassociates.com. The website is terrific. Uh, it'll give you a lot of information, not just about where we are and what, what we're all about, but also about a lot of the information about structured settlements generally. And uh, if you're a first-time listener, you should know you can go to ringlerassociates.com and find every Ringler radio show that's ever been produced. And we've got uh, quite a few hundred of those. Uh, on a lot of great topics like this one. And you can also find those shows on ringlerradio.com, legaltalknetwork.com, or you can go to iTunes where you can download right onto your uh, your iPhone and listen at your leisure. So with that, I want to say thanks for listening. Uh, thanks again, Chris, for being a great guest. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. And once again, Peter, great job. Uh, thank you, Larry. My pleasure. And the rest of you out there, go out and have a great day. Bye-bye. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thanks for listening to Ringler Radio, celebrating more than a decade of podcasting and over 2 million listeners. Think of Ringler, the objective settlement advisors with more than 140 consultants in 60 cities nationwide. Visit ringlerassociates.com today.